Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Esra Ogut is an international transformational coach helping people to live the life they choose. After pioneering transformational coaching in Turkey with her beloved husband, Ike, they developed much sought after coaching certification programs, which has produced coaches from all around the world. She is the author of Money Does Grow on Trees, The Myths We Create and Live By. And I might add for anyone that is listening to this and looking to really go the distance to create abundance and dissolve the limiting myths that we create around it, this book is an absolute must in your arsenal towards your wealth consciousness, which I would say for most of us has never been taught. So I am absolutely thrilled to have Esra on today to have her share her wisdom her expertise, and her own personal experience from total lack consciousness to overflow. So Esra, thank you for being here on the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. Oh, Diane, thank you so much. And thank you for that great, great introduction. (laughs) It is my pleasure. And I have to say thank you again for writing this book. Um, It's been a passage for me. It's been um, the things that you have in there I've been working with for the past few weeks and really seeing expansion in certain areas of my life, doing some of your exercises and going back to a lot of the foundational tenets that we'll go into in our talk today. So thank you a million. Thank you. You're doing a great service with a subject that I think a lot of people, particularly on the spiritual path, um, have the greatest issue with because there are so many judgments around it. Before we begin, it makes me think of years ago, I did a course with a woman who um, has a really amazing, her own personal experience with going from total uh, wealth, marrying a multimillionaire and not having a prenup, not having anything in the bank herself. It was all his money. She never worked and just got the rug pulled out from under her. And in a moment, she was going from living in a mansion, having all the abundance and financial, uh, you know, sustenance that one could imagine to literally living in her car and having a dime to her name. And she remembers what started her whole path, her whole passion of helping people with money um, was that she had that one dime and that was enough to know that she could create more from that something like there, Mm. there, that one dime was her hope. And she talks about how when she goes and does these seminars, she will ask people in the room who loves money. And she said, it's shocking to me that every time I go and teach at, say, a yoga studio or at a church or at a spiritual convention, no one raises their hand. But Mm -hmm. if she goes and talks to a bunch of CEOs or professionals, doctors, people out of that sort of arena, they all raise their hand. And she saw that there was, of course, this myth, as you talk about in your book, of this idea that, you know, money is bad. We aren't pure, perhaps, if we have money and all these other uh, judgments that people hold that specifically hold true um, are common in the spiritual community. So, I think for the people listening today and those that are on the spiritual path, I hope that this brings them uh, great levity, that they can have both. Oh, yes. I mean, that's a great, great story uh, you're touching on and a great point that you're making, Diane, because um, I remember when I first met my mentor, he had said to me something which at the time I found very interesting. And now it's like, duh, of course, that's exactly how it works. 
He said to me, you know what, Estra, the only difference between someone who's prosperous and someone who's not is that one has chosen to be and the other one has rejected to be. Mm. And through my own journey and then uh, through coaching people, you know, for the last decade, I've seen this to be true over and over and over again. Because one thing to understand is that really wanting something and being in a state of actually choosing something are not the same. When we're in a state of wanting, we're constantly creating through just wanting that consistent separation from that which we want. And when we actually choose to belong to something, and this could be anything, it doesn't have to just be abundance, then because of that choice point, which we call the being choice, then all of a sudden we can enter that reality and experience that specific reality. Mm. And I think like, I mean, I have found that there's as many belief systems about money, interesting belief systems around money as there are people in the world. And I don't see it as like this kind of outside programming necessarily, But when we first interact with money for the first time in our lives, dependent on what's going on in our family, what the money dynamics are between our parents or what the culture holds, you know, around the concept of money, uh, we end up very at a very young age, kind of out of that concluding something for ourselves. And we can either agree with what's going on around, or we can maybe make a very different choice than what's going around. So in that way, uh, I'm not really a believer that you kind of get programmed from the outside. I believe even as children, because we're actually souls just stuck in a little body, that's, that's all it is. We arrive at our own conclusions, dependent on what's going on around us. And through that, we create our own myths and belief systems around pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Not just money. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think when we want to learn about something, I think we all know the best teachers or coaches or mentors are those who have walked the path, whatever that is that you're interested in. And they have experienced both sides and healed and yeah. uh, they've transformed and they've figured it out. Right. And you I think like many of us didn't grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth and you had to learn fairly later in life about abundance, about money and really what it means to allow yourself to have the life that you truly want and to get out of the way, so to speak, and come into that being state, which we'll go into. What was your first impression of money and how did that play out in your adult life? Well, I had no idea what my impression about money was until my coach first coached me (laughs) to remember that memory. I mean, if you had, you know, kind of flat out asked me, what do you think about money? I would have like given a very logical answer and said, well, you know, money is something we need in order to take care of our needs and blah, 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 blah. But when he first started coaching me and he asked this question to me, just the way that he was holding the space and the specific way in which he was questioning me, all of a sudden this memory of being around seven or eight years old uh, came just popping up to the surface. And um, I remember very clearly being in a living room, watching TV and the grownups on the other side of the house in the corner, some friends of my grandmother, they're like conversing and they're talking about a very young woman, uh, I think in her mid twenties being married off through an arranged marriage to a very rich man. And they're kind of like talking about it, like, oh, this is such a good thing. You know, she'll be safe and, you know, taken care of now for the rest of her life. And that a smart woman exactly kind of thinks of marriage in those terms and a stupid woman is someone who would just follow her heart and follow the path of love Mm. so there's that conversation going on and that's why i know we don't just get coded by what's going on i mean we give a as even as children we give a reaction to what's going on and out of that create our own conclusion i remember being very distraught listening to this conversation a little bit freaked out Uh, I didn't like the tone of the conversation. I didn't like love being so, you know, kind of defined as being like what stupid people do. Mm -hmm. 
And I even remember one of the growing ups saying something like, oh, and also, you know, in blah, blah, blah magazine, uh, you know, the scientists say that love is just a hormone that lasts for four years. You know, I was just like so devastated. And so I went to the bathroom. I locked myself into the bathroom. I remember look, I remembered looking at the mirror, kind of imagining I'm talking to the universe and saying to myself, making a pledge I will always follow the way of love and I will always say no to money. Mm, wow. And of course, you know, we make a decision like that and we don't remember that past a week, but a mechanism we call the ego, which is how we define ego in our teachings is a function that once we write a program like that into our own systems, even though we don't consciously remember it, maybe a week past having come to the conclusion, the function of the ego remembers it for us. And so I was shocked in that memory when my teacher was asking me how up into my mid-30s, the way I wrote the stories exactly, but exactly to the T how I lived my life. Hmm. And that made me realize that, wow, we are so powerful. Yeah. Wow. Very, very powerful uh, indeed. And that story has a lot of resonance with me. And um, not with the love part, but it just makes me think of the memories I had as a child growing up. And my dad had this sort of like armoire in the bedroom. And on the top shelf, there are always all these pennies that were just in coins, quarters, but mostly pennies. And he just kind of threw them in there from his pockets, you know, as he went about his days. And um, we had this sort of like running kind of joke or game that I would climb up the little sort of steps of the armoire when I was a kid, and I would kind of sneak some pennies. And he'd say, Diane, are you taking some money? And I'd be like, no. And you know, he'd let me get away with it. And then I would have all this money in my um, little safe in my bedroom. But I always felt kind of guilty because it was not my money. I sort of inherently knew that. But my dad let me take it. But there was this mechanism inside of me that would go off and I'd feel guilty. And mm. I think of that, you know, to this day, how that must have affected me. Because, you know, we didn't grow up poor, but we didn't grow up rich, like upper middle class. But my dad lived like he was a millionaire, um, way beyond his means. Mm -hmm. And that all that definitely rubbed off on me going into my adulthood. And reading your book, I just tracked so many of these money stories that I could see got played out in my life and I had to relearn and I'm still relearning, um, rewiring my beliefs about money and allowing and um, what, what it means to um, give yourself the abundance that you truly seek and not feel guilty about it. So, yeah, yeah that's a wonderful, very potent story. And it goes to show how, yeah, like what we end up believing is what we end up experiencing that department of life as, whether right. this be money, whether this be like marriage or business life, it doesn't matter. We write it and then we experience it. <laughs> and we think it's happening to us from the outside while the whole thing is happening uh, from our you know, inner world out. Mm -hmm. life just being a reflection of what we chose to what, whatever script we chose to write yes you know tony robbins talks about in his events the importance of the why when you want to really uh create change in your life you want to shape shift you want to go to the next level and um the why is the driver and you refer reference your mentor, uh, Daryl Rutherford, I believe. Yes. Uh, yes. Who has his uh, potential clients when he may be working with these people. He has them write down as an exercise 20 reasons why they want what they want. 
and why this shift would be so important for them. And he says, as you mentioned in your book, that if they cannot come up with at least 20 reasons, he doesn't even bother consider uh, working with them. Yeah. <laughs> that just, and I, by the way, I, I did that with one of my um, coaching uh, clients and mentorship students. And it was, you know, he's actually working on it right now, but I put it in, inserted that into a program, a process. And because uh, it, to me, got me thinking, and I started writing down 20 reasons why I wanted to upgrade my life. And that just really stuck with me because people say that they want to change, but they really don't take the time to sit down and do the work. And then there's no juice to support what they're even saying. Completely, completely. Um, I mean, I think that's a great exercise. It's a very seemingly very simple exercise, but very, very powerful. And the reason that it really helps us kind of get outside of the box of mm -hmm. our belief system is if we can kind of, you know, think of where we are as like box A and where we want to go, a bigger, more expansive reality, but it's still a box because it'll still have some sort of a limit to it um, as, you know, point B or box B. Well, if you want to go from point A to point B, your desire has, has to be higher than the resistance of the ego that's trying to still keep you in the old reality. Because mm -hmm. ego is a function um, not anything bad. It's not the enemy. It's not being like, it's got nothing to do with being obnoxious or this or that, at least in the way that we define it. But ego is just a function where it holds the belief system in place for us on behalf of us so that we can get to experience our belief systems as a reality. So when we're trying to get outside of the box of that belief system, there's a natural ego's resistance that belief system wants to live. It doesn't want to die. It, it wants that reality to continue. So it's going to do a lot of automatic resistance to keep the old reality in place. And the way to penetrate that resistance is to make sure that our desire for point B is way higher than the resistance that's going to kick in for point A. Mm -hmm. How do you get someone to get to that desire point? And maybe this is a segue uh, that I'd love for you to go into, which you talk about in your book, the being state, which is a fundamental tenant uh, that you work with. And, and maybe share why that's so essential. But could you talk about how, how do we get someone to that state? What is the being state and how do we get someone to that desire to override? Um, I don't think that, let, let me think about that. I mean, um, one, one great technique that, you know, we use is rather than trying to get somebody to some point, what me and my husband like to work on is getting to show them how they're creating their current reality as is themselves. Because if the person figures out how they're creating the now moment, including the unwanted stuff, they kind of awaken to that empowerment within Okay. For example, one, one good way to do that is to kind of show the client that if they're claiming they really want something, they really want to upgrade, you know, up-level their income, or they really want a wonderful relationship, or they want to live in a bigger house, or whatever it might be. Well, if they claim they really, really want it, but at the same time it's not happening, it's not because they're lacking anything within themselves is because they have a gain and we call that the ego's gain in not having it. Mm -hmm. So if we, if you can awaken the person to why it is themselves that they, there's a, what part of themselves doesn't want to go to that point B, then they end up usually having a big aha moment because they see how they're setting themselves up and that empowerment within itself gives them the freedom to choose otherwise. We feel mm -hmm. that works very, very well. Yes. I, I might also add that I thought this was a very powerful point in your book because you talk about when people say, oh, you talk about in your book when people say they want a solution, um, but do they really? Because anytime someone is defending a problem with vigor, you can be sure that they don't really want a solution for it. 
And you use this great exercise of the penny. And you say, you put a penny on the floor or a table and you say to someone, try and pick up the penny. And most people would probably pick up the penny because they don't think twice that the fact that you said, try and pick up the penny, you can't try and pick up the penny. And and you say in your book, which I love, that there's really only two states of being, to pick it up or to not pick it up. And to your point, it's like, we can't, we can't be in our choosing and our, um, our trying at the same time. You can't, you can't, that's like a, it's not, it's not a choice state, right? You're either choosing one way or choosing the other way. You can't try and pick up a penny. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, being state uh, happens when the, when there's a higher desire for that, whatever the goal might be, then there's resistance for the old reality. For example, with my money situation, I, I was experiencing all the time, all the time, limitations, challenges, problems, whether that's like trying to pay rent or just buy the simplest thing. And it was shortly after I met my husband and not because of my husband and we were boyfriend, girlfriend at the time, but I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, like if I decided to have a baby right now from this man that I absolutely love, I can't even have a baby because I don't have the money to support a baby. I don't have money to buy diapers. <laughs> you know, I'll have to like actually calculate that. And that to me was such a big no that at that moment, I remember I made that being choice where I said, you know what? I'm really, really done with experiencing limitation around money. This is just never going to happen to me ever again. But it wasn't this like intellectual choice. It was this kind of a whole decision that came from the core of my being. And when you, that's actually the moment that I made a choice instead of just being the one who wants money, I became the one who chooses abundance. And pretty much everything from the universe aligned for me after that point, including meeting the mentor that was going to kind of, you know, get me into the awareness of what all my limitations were so that I could go beyond it. So that being's choice, not just the being state, but the being choice of what we want to belong to is very, very, very powerful. And it's a power that we use all the time and that we have used all the time. And it's just not about even learning it. It's about remembering it. Mm, for and, sure. Yeah. And one great exercise for that, Diane, which I'd like to mention is, I think that's in the book, if I remember correctly, um, is, you know, just to go and think about a time where we really had a problem that then got solved. So on the left side of the paper, say you write what your main problem was, something you remember from the past that, you know, got solved. Then on the right side, you write, you know, what happened when it got solved. And then in the middle, you try to remember the moment that you made that choice. And when you really kind of rewind and rethink back, you'll see that for every big solution to a big problem, there was a moment in the middle, which could be while we're sitting in the toilet or, I don't know, brushing our teeth or, you know, where we just like kind of, you know, get into the zone and make a very different decision that then unravels the solution with it right after. Mm. So that's a great way to remember how, yeah, anything that's ever changed our life has actually come from an inner choice made by us. Beautiful. Esra, what is the biggest myth, do you think, that from all the people you've worked with around abundance, what is the biggest myth people carry around money? You know, there are so many common ones and there are so many interesting ones sure. <laughs> that you've never heard before. Uh, because I believe that we're so unique, all of us, and we're so creative, all of us, that we we can all, you know, individually come up with really super interesting stories. But some of the common ones um, that I've seen is, for example, if I have too much money, I will lose my freedom. 
-hmm. Another one is if I get too abundant, I'll be left out. I won't be loved Mm -hmm. by, you know, society or by, you know, whoever. I've, I've seen that quite a bit. Like, again, just kind of like my story, love and richness kind of being separated. And that could be, I mean, I I work with clients usually um, that are Turkish because we wrote all the books in Turkish so far. So we haven't like, I mean, there's been foreigners we've worked with, but the main bulk has been coming from the Turkish culture. Uh, And another one is, uh, a very common one is, oh, if I have too much money, I'll be a sour or bad person. Hmm. Yeah, like I mean, money, money is the root of all evil. That's right. a big one. That's a big one. That's a very big one. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the most dangerous one is that, and this is the most common one, I would say, I'm thinking as you're asking me, because that's something I haven't thought about before, is, um, you know, the resources are lacking. There's right. a limited amount to go around. So that creates two types of people, either the greedy ones that want to just like have it all for themselves. Well, where does that come from? Oh, the sources are limited. Or people who feel that, oh, if I have too much, others won't have because of me. Again, that's based on uh, thinking the resources are limited. And I I remember you talking about that in your book and that hit home for me with that one person who was working around that myth that, oh, well, I'm actually allowed to be in abundance regardless if other people are in abundance or not. It's, yeah. it's not up to, they're not a criteria for whether or not I am allowed to hold myself in high standards around money and exactly. abundance. Yeah. Well, I'll put myself out there as sort of a guinea pig here because maybe <laughs> some things that have been my curriculum or other people's. and Or maybe you could just work for a second with me and give some insight as to um, not just how you work, but maybe what you could reflect back to me uh, as far as some stories that I received growing up and into my early adulthood. I remember, and I shared my penny story, my coin story as a kid. That was sort of my first impression or memory I always remember going and uh, climbing up and getting those pennies and those coins and then kind of smuggling them back to my room. Um, But I also remember when I first uh, started going off on my own after college and I was doing, uh, I was pursuing a lot of acting and, uh, and I'd gone to drama school in London and done all the theater and I had moved to New York and, was pursuing um, a career in in the performing arts. And of course, as many an actor does, waits tables. And um, I remember when I had my first job out of college, I was uh, working at a bunch of different restaurants and I, um, you know, would get my W-2s for the first time. And, um, And I realized I needed to do my taxes. And my father, who's now passed on, he said, you don't make enough to need to do your taxes. And Mm -hmm. then it just kind of went in and he would give me his credit card to buy clothes and he would help me with rent. And that was really lovely. Um, And I was very grateful, you know, otherwise I'd surely probably, I don't even know if I'd be living in New York City. I mean, I probably would, but I'd probably definitely be living in a dump based off the income I was making at the time and the consciousness I had at the time. But um, that really went in somewhere. And uh, I realized, oh, well, then I don't make enough money to need to be responsible about money. And then he would give me a credit card so that I could buy clothes. And I remember I would rack up you know, things at Barney's New York. And then I get a call like, Diane, I see you bought uh, $500 worth of clothes. And I'd always be apologizing, but he would say I could use it, but I had no sense of limit. I had no sense of spending. I mean, I wouldn't go crazy. 
I wouldn't go mm. thousands of dollars, but still it was money that I, it wasn't my money. And things were somewhat handed to me. Things were kind of split. He'd help out with things. But my point is these little um, messages would go in. They drop into my consciousness that I don't need to be responsible because I don't make enough money to be responsible with money. So I would have my own credit card. And I remember when I got out of college, I bought this piece of art, this Rene Grau lithograph that was, I think it was like $4,000. And I didn't have a pot to piss in. But they're like, oh, no, you can do a, a whole, um, you know, pay by the month. We'll break it down for you. And I walked away with this amazing lithograph. <laughs> and it took me about, I don't know, five years to pay it off. I mean, I still <laughs> have it, which is hilarious. And I, this is a long question. But what I'm getting at is through all this messaging, I racked up a horrible credit Sister, a horrible, I had horrible credit. I had like 450 as my credit score. Now I'm in the 800s. Everything's great. I've, you know, I've grown up, but that took me my, through my twenties into my thirties to clean up my credit. And also to learn that I could be responsible with money and that, um, I was, I was okay. I was allowed to be responsible with money and it was okay to make money. I mean, there are so many things wrapped around that. And I just love your feedback as far as what you hear with all that share. Well, I mean, I hear your story loud and clear, but it's not very powerful when I tell you what it is. So that's the thing. It's very important that you discover it and Think of your story as, as you know, is true for all of our stories, not as like this long paragraph thing. It's usually like something that fits into one sentence or two. Beautiful. And we're going to discover it together right now. So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. And, you know, through reading the book, I think you caught yourself beautifully by that memory coming forward with climbing and, you know, getting the pennies and having that whole game with your father and that sense of shame you talk about. So if you were to take your adult self back in time and go to that room next to that girl who was how old at that time, would you say? Oh, I'd say probably seven Well, seven, yeah, just like me. We do have a lot of parallels in our (laughs) stories. (laughs) And if you were to take yourself as if you were time traveling back to that time and you find that girl in the room, and as this whole event is happening, if you were to kind of, you know, stop her and just you would like you would introduce yourself to any kind of new child, if you were to say, Hey, honey, and you can just do this from inside of you. Hey, honey, you know, I'm coming back from a, I'm coming back to this time from the future, and I'm here to hear you, to understand you, and to receive information from you. And tell me, honey, like with this whole game that you, you're playing where you get to have the pennies and then your dad, you know, talks to you about it. Tell me, how, how are you feeling about money? If you were to ask that little girl how she's feeling about this whole grabbing the pennies, what does she have to say to you? She would say, I feel really bad about taking my dad's money. Okay, wonderful. Ask her and do it out loud now and ask her, honey, why is it that you feel bad? Why is it that you feel bad? And really let her answer. Because it's not mine. Mm-hmm. So there she's taking the money. She's aware the money isn't hers. So what do you think she could have come to the conclusion in terms of her money situation? What would the one sentence be? I can have money. 
in what condition? Well, I can have money only if it's my own, but that doesn't make sense. No, I can have money as long as someone else is giving it to me. Ah, thank you. I can only have money as long as it's given to me by somebody else. Mm. So if that's the crystallized belief system, how are you going to have the opposite, which is, oh, I can make money through my own resources, through myself. Right. It's contradictory. And when you explained your whole life, that was the whole pattern. You could have, and you could have a lot, but it always came from your father. It always, the source had to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's coming forward for me is that there seems to be this sort of underbelly of the fact that these were pennies. And the first thing that came forward to me before um, you asked the question, when I was looking at the little girl kind of scooping up these pennies, I wanted to say to her, sweetheart, you don't have to just take pennies. You can receive much more than pennies. And I can remember, um, for many years, it took me a long time to raise my rates as a teacher. And it was like, I can't do it. And living where I live, uh, a good amount of my clients, not everyone, I have all kinds of people I work with, single parents, um, teachers, developing teacher, yoga teachers themselves, but I also, a good amount of my business with people that live very, very, very wealthy lives. And um, I always wanted to be a fair across the board. And I had this sort of hit one time, a sort of an aha moment when one of my mentor students who was only teaching for about a year, I found out that she was charging twice as much as I was charging. And I was already doing the work for 10 12 years. And I said, Ooh, that doesn't fare well on me. And what is it about me that I want to just be nice and not, I don't even know if it's offend, but play fair when raising my rates, it would be a form of self-love a display of self-worth, all my acumen, it's in balance. And also that I'm not deserving of, for lack of a better term, pennies. That I could be that girl that can, again, generate the resource, generate money from her own resources, but change those pennies in my sort of memory bank into, I don't know, like gold coins. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, you know, the next, um, the next step. So this one I just showed you where you kind of go back. I mean, you happen to remember already what the crystallizing moment was for you in, in terms of your relationship with money. Once you've talked and gotten information from the girl as to how she's feeling. And in her case, the relationship is, oh, I can only have as long as I'm given it through somebody else. Of course, the pennies, there's always like little, little pennies. Now, I want you to re-coach her. You're going to be re-coaching that girl that made that decision. And uh, I was going to ask you as a first step, if you could let her know that she's allowed to have money, whether her father allows it or not, whether her father gives it or not. So kind of like whatever you feel like saying, if this was your daughter that you were teaching, what would you say to her as your adult self? But again, with eyes locked into that girl, you're relating to that version of yourself. Diane, I see that you are grabbing these pennies and you're afraid when you grab these pennies because you don't want to offend anyone and you know that it's not yours 
but you can have them because your father lets you have them. But I want you to know that you can, you can just let go of all that. In fact, just let go of those pennies right now. Just drop the pennies because you don't need those pennies because there's a whole lake filled with the abundance that you want to swim in. And I know you love to swim. And you're allowed, you're allowed to swim in that lake that's filled with all the abundance that you seek. And you are allowed to make so much more money than your father ever made. You're allowed to supersede your parents. You're allowed to have your own path. And you're allowed to step into your power of generating through your God-given gifts and be that self-sufficient superstar that you are. So let those pennies that fell to the ground, let them go. And as you step back, they're going to transform into a pile of gold, gold that grows and grows and grows. And as you see this tree of gold growing, know that it's a reflection of who you are becoming inside which is this new level of receiving. Beautiful. And Diane, money sources are not limited. Right. It's like oxygen. It's all around. There's enough to go for everybody. And darling, you can breathe it as deeply as you choose. And you don't need anyone to bring money to you. You can self-generate whenever you wish. Oh, that was... Just before we finish, it's not finished yet. What would you like to say to her in terms of your love to her, your appreciation of her, and that you will take endless care of her and she doesn't have to worry about ever whether she has or not? where she feels safe, where she feels loved and honored by you in your own words before we leave the memory. I want you to know that I am here for you. I'm here for you in my strength, in my knowing, in my wisdom, in my loving and holding you, dear. I'll be holding your hand every day moving forward reminding you, whispering in your ear that it's all here for you. And do not worry. And do not fear. And trust that this experience that we've had together is real. And it has already in the ethers created momentum. And I will remind you every day to breathe this new, fresh oxygen of sustenance, of resource, of infinite abundance, of prosperity, of God consciousness, of allowing, of receiving, of gifting yourself without any concern of um, judgment, or constriction, or condemnation. You never need to apologize for your blessings. Beautiful. I'll give her a nice hug. And now I want you to do something very different after you're done hugging her and energetically letting her feel that love that you have for her. I want you to just step back as if you're watching a movie, watching a scene, and just run that memory forward again and see if it kind of manifests in a different way. If you see the girl 
relating to whatever she's doing in a different way. So you've talked to her, you've made her aware, you've kind of re-coached her. Your adult version has re-coached that seven-year-old. Or you're just stepping back. You're not trying to do anything. You're just running the memory forward again from beginning to end and see what is different. Well, this is really interesting. <laughs> this is the yummy part. <laughs> wow, this is really interesting. Oh my gosh. So what's happening is as I begin to run that image of her climbing up those little steps and reaching on the shelf for the pennies, there's bars of gold. And I'm grabbing these kind of bars of gold above the pennies. Like I'm not interested in the pennies. And I'm saying, why are you keeping my money up here? It belongs in my room. <laughs> there you go. And uh, it's like I'm claiming what was mine to begin with. And uh, I always thought I had to go to my parents' room to get that sustenance. That's very Oh, Lord. Right Thank there. you. Now I'm getting the goosebumps because that, I mean, Diane, now tell me when you were doing this, did you like wish it to be that way? Or what did what you see actually surprise you? It surprised me. I mean, that's why I was like, this is wild because uh, I can't think my way into that image. It just popped in, you know. Exactly. So that's an indication of how powerfully your adult self coached your little self and the imagery that's coming up. And sometimes it happens this way. Sometimes you got to do it a couple of times, but yours was like super fast. The imagery coming up is showing, A, that you're okay with more abundance. So that little girl has been given the permission to be okay with more abundance, not pennies dealing with the gold blocks. And two, because it's like, she's like, wait a minute, you know, this has got to be in my room. There's now an allowance for the ownership of the mm-hmm. self. Oh, mm. I, I can generate this. I can have this. I don't need daddy's permission. I don't need daddy to be the one letting me have. I can have it. It can. I can also be the generator of this abundance or this wealth. So oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And and I might add, and maybe this is a sweet segue into um, talking about gratitude because um, there's this wonderful bit in your book where you you say that thinking gratitude and feeling gratitude, of course, are two completely different things. And there are so many people that will go around and say that they're grateful, but they aren't. And um, you really have to be in that actual state rather than just thinking your way through the idea or concept of what it is to be grateful. And right now it's like, wow, I'm in that state. I'm in that being state of Mm. being grateful. And it's not like anything happened outside of me, which I think is really important for people listening right now. It's all an inside game. And I'm sitting here like I just crossed a bridge and I'm in the field of gratitude just from that short but very potent exercise. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, when we approach and when we coach people, it's just, you know, it's not like kind of one thing. It's just in in the spur of the moment, uh, what the person needs, what they're looking for. So it's a very kind of an organic process. But I must say gratefulness is very important. And one way to get to that is exactly the exercise we did. And another way that I found very helpful that I used very early on is to spend about 10 to 15 minutes a day where you're again organically looking for what you can be grateful for for that day or for that week that has happened to you. And like starting with the small things, you know, it could be the smile of somebody, someone being really kind to you, a gift you got from your mother, or this, you know, house that you live in, the fireplace that warms you up, the amazing view you have. 
but you just keep talking and talking and focusing and talking until you actually feel that state change inside of you. And then after you feel the state change, then maybe spending another 15 minutes to be grateful for certain goals that you want to happen as if it has already happened. And when you can kind of soak yourself in the fulfillment of it all, it's like a really weird thing happens. It's like you're so fulfilled by talking yourself into that state that you don't even care if it actually happens. Yes. And I want to give an example. Um, this was way back in Turkey. I had intended to write my book back then, but I never kind of got around to it. But I remember my husband, we were in Istanbul at the time, and my husband's like, you know, so when are you going to you know, start writing? And I'm like, oh, my God, Istanbul's so busy. I wish I could just be in Hawaii and right there. And, you know, at that point, we didn't really kind of, you know, we had just started, you know, we had abundance just started coming in. So it's not like super maximum size at that point. So it's not like we can just pick up and go to Hawaii, you know, being all the way in Turkey. And I remember I'm like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, there's something I'd like, and I'm just going to put it into my gratefulness exercise. So for maybe, I don't know, 15 days at most, I would be like, well, I'm so grateful I'm in Hawaii. I'm so grateful I'm walking on the sand. I'm so grateful the sand feels so good on my feet. I'm so grateful. We had just started coaching, by the way. And I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful. You know, I can do my coaching sessions on a cell phone. I'm so grateful for technology. I'm so grateful that as I'm coaching and as I'm walking by the ocean, I see this amazing rainbow and I'm like screeching for joy and letting my client know how beautiful it is and just on and on and on and on like that just for a couple of days. And then about, I don't know, two or three weeks later, our, um, you know, publisher and, and who later became our friend, he just turns around and he's like, and I didn't tell him anything like this. He's like, you know what? I want to send you and Ike to vacation in Hawaii for a month, all expenses paid. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, here we go. And it was literally just talking myself into that state. And I could so kind of feel Hawaii and smell Hawaii and experience Hawaii that I didn't like, it was okay if I never even went. And it just immediately, I just like got carried over there <laughs> by, by this magical carriage. And then now I live in Hawaii. It's so funny. Yeah. I mean, not to sound too woo woo, but it's really, I mean, this is us living in creating the magic of our lives. It, it really is. It's magical. And, um, to your point, you know, in your book, you say we have to create a, a state of being in which it's simply possible to belong to the solution. So we're either belonging to the problem or belonging to the solution. And sometimes we can just simplify it down to which state am I in right now? Because if I'm in a state of um, contraction or being in the lack or being in the absence of gratitude in the problem, then the, the world is going to be a direct reflection or mirror to that inner state. And that really is the woo-woo magic of our own existence. Would you agree? I, I agree. And, and I also, for people who do spin in that lack, which I did for like ever myself, I think it's very important also um, to realize that even when we're in the lack, through experiencing that contrast, we're creating a lot of beautiful desire for more. That lady who, you know, married a billionaire and then she was living in her car and then she became the majorist, you know, prosperity coach as, as far as I, I, I understood the story. Well, that contrast, that lack, experience of lack is exactly what helped her get this whole prosperity game from being outside of her to inside of her. Right. And I might. So yeah. all is good. <laughs> yes. Yes. And including the problem, including the horrible lack experience we're having. 
And it's just about instead of feeling, oh my God, something's going wrong and I'm not doing it right and I shouldn't be in that state. No, every state, because it's our creation, even if when we don't even realize how we're creating it, just to have this approach of a winner's attitude. It's all happening, not against me, but for me. And how can I turn this into a gift? Mm. Before you go, when I post about uh, future guests, which I did with you in your book on Instagram, I received some emails, uh, you know, DMs um, about it. And some people, it was actually quite astounding, um, people sent me their story and asked if I could share it. So, of course, I can't share all of them. So I picked a standout one that I thought a lot of people perhaps that are listening could relate to in some way and see if you could offer any feedback to this person. Sure. So her name's Sarah, and she says, I am a 45-year-old yoga teacher with many skills and years of experience. I'm also a certified massage therapist that I've been doing for many years as well. And I'm in the middle of a divorce. My husband makes very little money, or I should say not enough to support, support both me and our five-year-old son. So I've been doing so much as best I can on my own with the work that I do, be it Zoom classes, yet generating very little compared to what I used to be making before the before the shutdown and the studies um, and the work I did with people in person. I feel very stuck in my job as a quote unquote healer and don't want to work in an office. And I don't even know if that would be any better. Is there any advice you can give me during this time to find ways in my consciousness to grow and see the possibilities to be, my, to be self-sufficient and abundant as I move forward on my own as a single mom. Mm, beautiful story. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't like to give advice um, out of the blue without like specifically knowing the person and being able to coach, but I would like to give uh, one quick exercise for her to discover what her limitation or her myth around money might be. Because I feel just like it happened with you it just brings such an incredible sense of empowerment. So I would advise her um, to put herself into a visualization, but this is not a visualization to manifest, it's a visualization to discover. And I would put her, put if I were her, I would put myself into a visualization where I really exaggerate having a lot of abundance. The house, the car, absolutely no limitation, absolutely no problem. And I would really put myself into that picture and see what I'm doing on a Monday, what I'm doing on a Tuesday, what I'm doing on a Wednesday, not with the intention to classically manifest, but with the intention to see when she puts herself into that picture, what is it that bothers her? Hmm. Because whatever bothers her is probably a very good indication of what the belief system might be. Like if I were to go back, we hadn't created that exercise at that point, but if I were to go back to myself and do that exercise back when I didn't yet know my limiting, ex uh, limiting belief system, if I were to put myself into that visualization, I would probably see that, oh, I have a lot of money, but I'm like kind of lonely and with no love in my life. And from there, you're like, aha, this is what I'm resisting. This is why I'm holding myself in limitation. Mm. Because if we're holding ourselves in limitation, just like I was, just like many of our clients do, there's always, always a gain in holding ourselves in limitation. And I know it sounds crazy because we're like, oh, my God, why would we do something so horrible to ourselves? But really, when we go deep down and discover it's crazy <laughs> yeah. and it's very empowering to discover. Yeah. We get stuck in our own insanity. Yeah. I mean, or, or in our very powerful, you know, creation, we're like crazy painters painting right. all, all sorts of amazing pieces of work. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Some, 
messy and chaotic and some more harmonious, you know? Right. Um, like how much drama do you want to take in your life until you enough's enough? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this whole approach when we're trying to go into prosperity, it's like, Oh my God, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I manifest? There is no yeah. such thing as why I can't manifest. No, you already are manifesting exactly what you want. You just have to figure out as uh, Anthony would say, the why, <laughs> mm-hmm. the why are you manifesting like that? Yeah. That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because that comes up a lot for me when I work with uh, people in my counseling. It's like, what is it I need to fix about myself? Where am I flawed? How am I broken? Show me how I'm broken. Show me what I'm doing wrong. And it's just, uh, it's backwards thinking. Yeah, it is. And we all, like, we all come from that. You know, I mean, I definitely was, you know, going down that path too, like, oh, trying to fix myself with as many meditations as possible. And, and yeah, because we have a lot of training that we're kind of, you know, messed up to begin with. And that's absolutely an illusion. It's not true. Mm-hmm. We're very, very powerful beings writing our own myths, myths, and then very successfully experiencing exactly what we wrote. Yeah. So if this whole discovery could be like, oh my God, it's like a puzzle, you know, and let me see if I can find the pieces of the puzzle and to have fun as we're discovering the matrix of our own minds. Yes. Like how good does it feel when you figure out the Rubik's cube? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just exactly. like, oh, <laughs> I want to enter into the worldwide competition of how fast I can, you know, figure out the Rubik's cube. Once you do one, you want to go deeper and get more complex and, do the, uh, you know, tetrahedron Rubik's cube and, you know, exactly. just, uh, yeah, the possibilities. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun, uh, to be in a, in a pathway of, you know, discovery because we are just such, you know, interesting and sophisticated and powerful beings. And just to go and discover that and just be wowed by you know, including the messes we make, like how smartly we make them and why we make them. It's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. I was floored when, um, you know, through the coaching um, with, my, my, with my teacher, when I found the code and it was actually twofold, Diane, and I want to mention this too before we go. Um, there was also another part which was like, oh, all people who have money are kind of the evil ones. Right. And that came from old Turkish movies. Uh, back then, most of the artists were more kind of, you know, leftist leaning. And so in all the movies, all the rich people were the evil ones and all the poor people were the good people. So another decision of mine in regards to prosperity was like, oh, I'm going to be one of the good people. Mm. And if I want to be one of the good people, that means like I can't, you know, I shouldn't have too much money. Mm. Right. Gosh, that that's uh, I think that's so familiar. I mean, definitely based on your upbringing and your culture there, but also in Hollywood, it's like the bad guys with the stash and mm-hmm. the, the the mafia and the uh, the you know just the Rockefellers. You go to Newport, Rhode Island, and you do your summer tour in Newport, Rhode Island, looking at all the big mansions of the Rockefellers and the Vanderbelts and you just kind of put them on a pedestal and only certain people are allowed to have that. And exactly. I think the seeding that goes in with people. Exactly. Just, exactly. Just the conclusions that you come up with, you right. know, from watching those movies, which are very powerful and which are kind of the first myths that we interact with as, you know, very little kids being very small children. Um, but you know, when, for me, when I found those two belief systems and I found them in two different, you know, sessions, you know, I was like floored by how exactly I had chosen to experience the department of money, how exactly it had manifested out like so succinctly. And all of a sudden what had felt like a tragedy up until that point seemed like the most hilarious thing ever. Yeah. So as soon as we get out of the box of our own limitation, what was a tragedy transforms into a comedy. 
Mm. Have a good laugh. Yeah. And how funny we are. And life is a comedy of errors. You have <laughs> to laugh and la laugh at yourself and laugh at each other because we're all, we're, we've all got stuck. So why be so serious? Oh why God. the serious face? <laughs> exactly. You know, well, do you have any parting words you'd like to say to the listeners and also share where we can find you, any programs you're doing and your website, anything you'd like to share? Oh, thank you so much. Well, our website is www.ikeandesra.com. That's I-K-E-A-N-D-E-S-R-A.com. And our website is just newly up the English one. <laughs> so um, we don't have many of our products and everything in, on there yet, but we're getting there. Um, so, yeah, they can always find us there, contact us there. We're very excited to be opening up to the USA uh, and to the English-speaking world. It's, it's a very new gateway for us. So I'm very, very happy to be sharing all this information. I'm so grateful to your invitation, Diane, and to the conversation that we've had. Um, and that's pretty much it I can think of. <laughs> Perfect. You've said it all. This is great. And I thank you for taking me through that beautiful journey. And I hope that my own process could be applied to many people listening and may it open the doors for them within themselves. And get her book, guys. It's an amazing book. Money Does Grow on Trees, The Myths We Create and Live By. Check it out. Esra, you're a gem. We'll be in touch. <laughs> Thank you, Diane. I can't wait to reconnect. It's been so much fun conversing with you. Thank you, everybody. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com. <laughs>